While most of our interviews here at the Tech Emergence Podcast are recorded right here in my own office, one of the perks of moving out to Silicon Valley is being in close proximity to some of the largest companies and the finest researchers in the artificial intelligence field. This week's interview is with Dr. Adam Coates, who spent 12 years at Stanford uh, studying artificial intelligence before doing his postdoc there, and now he's spent the last two years as the director of the Silicon Valley Artificial Intelligence Lab for a little company called Baidu, many of you might know as the quote-unquote Google of China, which isn't necessarily the most accurate description, but is one that is often thrown around. Uh, today, I speak with Adam uh, about his ideas around consumer artificial intelligence applications and impacts and what he's excited about, as well as what he thinks might be a little bit too hyped up at this time. Uh, this is someone with a lot of uh, direct experience in the domain of speech recognition. If, if anyone is tuned in and has uh, an interest in the developments and the potential applications of speech recognition and language processing, this is not an episode uh, to miss. Adam and Baidu are working on applications to potentially influence billions of folks uh, in Asia. And uh, these are people who are mobile first, as he says in the interview, and so interact with their devices in, in a bit of a different way than many of us do over here in the West. Uh, so Adam has a lot of interesting insights around the directions of technology. I had an absolute blast with this interview, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to it. So Adam, where I figured we'd start off, I'm very interested in what you do see as viable, but I know whenever I speak with researchers, you know, they read enough TechCrunch and Wired articles to, to come across something where they're like, man, that is just unrealistic. You know, who, 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 what kind of journalists or what kind of pop scientists put something together where, where they would think that that would be possible in five years or that would be possible in 10 years? What are some of the things that, that you think might need a little bit of hype deflation in the AI world today? Yeah, I think, you know, based on a lot of the, the genuine progress that's happening in AI right now, uh, substantially because of big progress in deep learning and, and neural networks, um, many people are starting to feel that that full uh, AI, artificial general intelligence, or human-level AI might be just around the corner. And, and that, you know, tomorrow we might wake up and these things have become uh, sort of self-aware and, yeah. and, and sentient. Um, and I think, you know, working uh, with these technologies every day, it's pretty clear that that's just not where the progress is happening right now. We, we don't have a real plan uh, for how these things could become a, a human-level intelligence. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't a lot of genuine great progress. Um, I think a lot of the progress that we're making on applications like speech and language and so on are going to have a huge positive impact, um, separate from from what we would say need artificial uh, intelligence at a human level for. Yeah, and just just in terms of what the barriers are there, I mean, there's so many interesting little nuanced parts, right? I mean, the the um, I guess DeepMind impressed some folks because you know this is a machine that was playing Mario, and then you know. They trained on Brick Breaker, and then they they got it to, to play Go. Um, but but you know it's it's not really going to be discussing Proust with people tomorrow, <laughs> you know, or or uh, you know, or, or you just... know, I, I think of it in terms of an analogy, right? Um, I love you know, if you look at if you look at automobiles or airplanes, right? It's clear that you know technology is moving forward. We have much better cars that are safer, faster, more efficient today. Um, but nobody is looking at at their latest car thinking, oh my gosh, it could turn into a transformer tomorrow and have some, you know, battle on the freeway. Uh, because it's just self-evident for all of us looking at the car that the technology is not ready for that and that there's no plausible way for the technology to become a transformer in the near future. Um, and so I think deep learning is in the same space. 
and it's getting a lot better. We're seeing things that we didn't think were possible a few years ago. Um, but if you're actually working with that technology, it's very self-evident that we just don't have the pieces to make, you know, full artificial intelligence at this point. And, and this is this is partially due to, you know, our, our maybe our inability to tie the totality of what human intelligence and beingness is into a machine, right? Because I mean, we'll, we've got you know uh, the understanding of language to some degree and playing games. And um, is it is it just the inability to cobble the pieces? It's obviously also you know, not quite understanding consciousness. I mean, what are sort of the big barriers where it's like, this is kind of in our face and we're not exactly well, moving past it today? I can tell you one that's actually something I think we could reasonably solve hmm. um, that, that is kind of in our face right now. So one of the things that's been powering progress in deep learning is the fact that we can get huge amounts of labeled data for tasks that we really care about. So, for example, the, the speech recognition system we've been building in the AI lab uh, works incredibly well because we can give it audio uh, along with transcriptions and the neural network can learn from all of those transcriptions to recognize speech. So this is a kind of machine learning called supervised learning, um, but it's very clear that this is not how humans learn to, to recognize speech. Um, we don't play 10,000 hours of transcribed audio for children. Um, <laughs> like this, this is a nope. crazy amount of experience. Nope, that's, yeah, nope. And yeah. so uh, one of the things that we know humans are somehow accomplishing is unsupervised learning. We know that we're taking in audio and visual data and learning to make sense of it in a way that helps us very rapidly adapt to new tasks. So I think that's something where there's lots of interesting research happening right now uh, my sense is that we're making real progress on the problem, but but no one has really cracked it. We we don't know uh, when the big watershed event is going to be. Yeah, I guess the the analogy you know that uh, with a machine you really do need kind of a baseline of of data and information, and with a child, you need one example or one analogy sometimes can cut it for years, right? With mm -hmm. with some particular kind of an event, what are those? What is that that pattern recognizing process that allows that to happen? That's right. right, that's a tough one. Um, so, okay, cool. And, and this maybe will lean us into um, what you do see as viable and maybe to some degree what you guys are working on. Um, Baidu is a big company, uh, many, many, many customers and users all over the world. Um, when you look out into, you know, five, ten years, which you said off mic is when we're all throwing darts. So, we, <laughs> so I won't hold you to this one. But if we're going to throw some darts, you know, we think about um, what are the day-to-day -day differences in, in sort of a consumer's life uh, with uh, another two steps forward in artificial intelligence, what might that look like? You know, I think in the 50s, maybe people thought, oh, you know, one day we'll have heating systems for our houses that do this, or we'll have, uh, you know, uh, trucks that can pull this much, or whatever the case may be. Um, in, in AI, what does life look like? How does life look different when we make a couple steps forward in tangible AI progress? What are some applications that you're excited about? Yeah, so I, you know, as I mentioned, we're working a lot on speech recognition, which I think is definitely one of the technologies that's poised to have the, the scale of impact where it could reach 100 million people who want to use it every day. Okay, and so I think, you know, step one for speech recognition, right, is that right now we're all pretty comfortable with texting and doing text queries, partly, partly because we've been forced to. Um, but there are just lots of cases where this doesn't make sense. Like if you're driving, uh, you want to do a long uh, transcription, it's much, much faster to talk. Um, certainly, like whenever I do a cross-country road trip with, with my family, uh, I would much rather have my wife in the passenger seat and just be able to talk to her while she's looking at the map 
And that's a vastly better interface than, than trying to use the map itself. And so I think step one for speech is to make all of those things possible. Um, so that if we can have speech recognition that's as good as a person, um, we're going to start being able to interact with our devices in a new way, but using a lot of the same sorts of applications that, that we're accustomed to now. And then I think step two past that is, is going to be really transformative, that we can have speech-enabled homes, speech-enabled cars, all of our devices able to interact with us the same way that we interact with a person. And I am most excited about step two because for mobile-first societies where you know, people are going to connect to the internet for the first time through a handset. Yep. They haven't grown up with a PC. They haven't grown up with a laptop. They don't carry a laptop around with them all the time the way that I yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is a totally different way of accessing the internet and connecting to the rest of the world. And if we have speech and language technologies that make that as simple as talking to a person, um, I think that's something we could make some pretty substantial progress on in the next five to ten years um, that would have a huge, huge positive impact. Yeah, I'm trying to flesh out what some of these uh, interesting sort of applications might look like. I know that speech is a big deal here at Baidu. I know that a lot of sort of what's online video-wise, a lot of your talks and mm -hmm. uh, Andrew's uh, great work, what a, what, a, what a fantastic guy he is on camera too. Is he as nice in person as he sounds? Oh, Even man. nicer. Even nicer. How is that possible? I'm like, he's too nice. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of that work is, is clearly focused on on speech. You, you mentioned an example that I thought was a really fun one. When you're driving, um, you'd rather just say, hey, uh, you know, whatever your wife's name is, hey, Jessica, can you let me know, you know, when am I taking a left here? You know, and, and she can just tell you. You know, you're not you're not toggling back and forth. You're not looking at yep. your GPS. That is, uh, like you said, vastly a vastly more efficient sort of interface to use. You know, nerdy terms for such a day to day thing. Um, so, so that's kind of a, a almost like a walking through aid. You can imagine that in a work environment, right? A um, manufacturing environment. Someone has to fix machinery. Someone has to. Hey, you know, where where does this lug nut go? Or am I supposed to loosen this before I such and such? Rather than like, oh, let me flip open the manual. You know, I mean, that's horribly inefficient. Um, so that's sort of a, a guide with you through tasks, I think, would be pretty fascinating. And then the, the other ones are, you know, accessing, you know, maybe it's email, maybe it's other facets of the Internet. What are some other interesting examples of, so I can, I, I think we could extrapolate that one, the, the talk-to guide, I think, by itself could be a theme that you could think of a myriad applications. What are other ones that, that you guys are excited about? Yeah, I think um, we've thought about all kinds of different sorts of assistance, uh, especially for things that clearly require speech. So when you're in a car environment, for example, Big time. Um, especially for young people, right? Uh, automobile accidents are basically a top killer. Ridiculous, yep. Um, and a big fraction of these are being caused by texting and distractions. All this Snapchat. Man. And so one of the things that's very exciting to me is that if we can really make speech very low overhead, sense that you don't even have to think about whether you would use it or not. Um, we, we could take that away. And, and a lot of the th things, the examples that you gave, like searching through a manual and so on, this is about uh, really changing our relationship with the devices we use and the way we get things done and making them just much, much faster and taking away all the training that we have to do for ourselves. Um, I think it's hard for me to remember that in the early days of internet search, it actually wasn't quite clear how to get what you wanted from a search engine. Um, and now we all do keyword searches and so on with... with Pretty intuitive. Yeah, with a, a question. almost no thinking. 
Um, and yet this is a learned skill that we all had to figure out. And some people are very good at it. Um, but I think in the future, as we, you know, we want to cut away a lot of these barriers and be able to interact much more quickly with much less training with devices and, and information, we're going to want speech and language technology to make that interface perfectly clean. Yeah. You know, what's, uh, what I'm very excited about, I've brought this up so many times, I can't wait till when it, when it happens, when we just shake the, the QWERTY keyboard. You know, when we just shake it, because because how yeah. how archaic is it? You this know, is how, an example how, of a technology like just, that has had massive distribution challenges. Yeah, yeah. Right? We worked very hard to train up everyone to type on QWERTY keyboards. Yep. Um, and so, you know, again, in developing economies where you haven't had all of this training for your that society, might even oh, that's um, and being able to text uh, in a language that doesn't map well to keys, not at all. Yep. Um, you know. All of these interface challenges are even bigger. Yeah, I can't even imagine, uh, you know, um, texting Chinese or texting Korean. You know, I, I couldn't, that would just go right over my head, I'm sure, right off the bat. Um, but, but I think that it also maybe presents the opportunity, we're talking about mobile-first societies, where maybe uh, those ingrained ways of here's how I interact with technology aren't there. And in addition to that being a challenge, I suppose, maybe you can just from the ground up Yes. From the ground up, make it easier, right? You don't have to go in and, you know, um, take typing classes. Like if, if hypothetically there was a different kind of interface that toggled between applications and toggled between functions, but so much of it was done um, with just voice and just communicating, I think it, it wouldn't just be like an interesting crutch for folks who don't know how to type well or, or code, but it, it could also just make everybody, no matter how technical you are, arguably more efficient because even a fellow like yourself who probably is in front of the computer a decent amount of, of the day um there's got to be oodles of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis where if you could just say something or gesture in a certain way and have certain things be getting done while lots you're doing email <laughs> yeah lots of email yeah yeah that's that's cloning that's what i'd like well, to do you for can you. already see this actually um hmm. so in in china because of a lot of the, the interface challenges um, a lot of the habits that mobile users have developed are very sophisticated, much more sophisticated than my own, hmm. um, because their mobile device is their main access to the Internet. So you see things like QR codes being used for web links much more than you see. Oh, in the legit. Really? They are? Okay, because I, I always, you always look at QR codes and you're like, man, it's a shame that died. Yeah, right. You know? and, and it's like we, we just somehow we don't see the need for this because it's faster for us just to type a few yep, characters. Yep. But the fact that like web links are often in sort of uh, you know Roman characters yeah. um, and not in in their native language, it's much easier to shoot a QR code and go to this link. Way easier. Okay. And so you're already seeing cases where technology that kind of you know struggled to be adopted in one place just exploded and was very popular in another. Um, and likewise, um, with the I think online to offline services where you're using online services to connect you to um, services in the offline world, um, that's happening, being adopted very rapidly because people are using their phones to do it, whereas I don't have the habits built up to use my phone to do all this. What are some things. interesting examples of that? So this is, well, part of me is sort of trembling because I'm thinking, oh man, maybe the, the entire, the entirety of Asia will, will rapidly adopt so much more efficient, uh, you know, ways of interacting with technology than, than the, the goofy lumbering methods that we're all so used to. But it's also really uh, an interesting sort of dynamic there, just the character thing. I mean, you can imagine what a difference that makes. Um, online to offline, what are some examples of that? 
Uh, well, I can tell you one that's affected me personally. <laughs> okay, great. Um, one is that, uh, you know, if you see like soda machines, right? I don't carry like a lot of change or, or like, you know, the, the, I'll have the wrong denominations of bills or whatever. And I'll be like, ah, I can't get like water or a soda or whatever right now. Um, in China, you actually see quite a few of these and where you can actually use a QR code or, or a, a payments method on your phone to pay for a soda at a soda machine that's right in front of you. Hmm. Um, and you we know, don't have that instinct. We don't put the phone exactly. In front and of I thing, would right? never think to do this. And when I look at it, I'm sort of at pause for a moment. Like, how would I figure this out? And then you'll see someone walk up and do it, and boom, they have their soda and walk away. And you think, wow, That's like it, this is one of those things that would have been so hard for me to to build into my habits. Um, but as you were pointing out, that because a lot of the habits with laptops and things haven't been built up, uh, some of these things get adopted very rapidly. Man. Um, so, okay, so soda, other, I mean, would, um, other examples of, of, of online to offline, I'm trying to think of, it sounds like they're, they're sort of living in a world where that connected state is more constant yeah. and less and sort it's of It's driven a lot by mobile. Yeah, yeah. Driven a ton by mobile. Um, huh, wow. Well, that, that's, it's, its own kind of mind experiment fodder for hours, I'm sure. Um, in terms of, of other applications of, of, um, a speech that maybe you're working on now or that you're excited about, maybe open up interesting vistas. Um, what are what are a few others um, that, that, you know, in terms of their transformative possibility, you guys are really excited about? Yeah, so one thing about um, deep speech that I think is pretty interesting is that um, we have both an English and a Mandarin engine. Um, so that has uh, been kind of an interesting story in itself that we developed the system in English. Um, but because it's all deep learning based, it mostly just depends on the data. So we were very quick able to me, we were able to pretty quickly just replace the data with Mandarin data and train up a very strong Mandarin engine. Mm. Now, since Baidu has a lot of Mandarin services, um, we can actually train the Mandarin system on huge amounts of audio. And as a result, the Mandarin system for sort of short query like uh, utterances that that you know we hear a lot of. Uh, the system is basically superhuman. Um, we have a one of our researchers, uh, Tony, will, will be sitting with his headphones on, and he'll be listening to to examples that we've been given, and he'll say, "I have no idea what this is. This is I have no idea what what uh, I'm supposed to say here." And then he'll look at the transcription from Deep Speech, uh, and he'll say, "Oh." That has to be right. That's the only thing it can wow. be. Wow. So, um, and so I think the, the technology's got strong enough that um, we're, we're looking forward to putting this into products that people can use today um, and start like sharing that experience with users and being able to, to communicate and hopefully... It's a noisy environment, right? I guess you're hearing like garbled versions of things. And, and I think I did see a video on this um, from you folks, but that's curious. It's almost basically superhuman, he says. It's interesting. Um, now, because you have the English engine, you have the Mandarin engine, does this also open up the possibility of uh, vastly better translation in addition to transcription and whatnot? Is there a crisscross there at some point? Not so much translation, um, which would require us to have sort of the same sentence in both languages. Uh, yes, yes, okay. um, one thing that does work uh, is actually hybrid speech. Um, so many Mandarin speakers you use a, a combination of Mandarin and English words. 
Really? Uh, so like names of movie stars, popular products, uh, websites, things like that. Those things are English. Yeah. Um, so, so iPhone is a very popular word. And <laughs> because the system is entirely data-driven, it actually learns to do hybrid transcription on its own. Uh, we didn't program it, actually. Um, it has English and Mandarin characters, and it just learns that when someone says, you know, uh, I own an iPhone, but says it in Mandarin, uh, it'll actually switch to English and print out iPhone in, in Roman characters, and it's no problem. Huh, so, so, so that might make it a little bit easier then to, um, you know, spread this to different regions that might have different dialects, because it'll get pulled in, it'll get processed, and it'll be able to work. And that's that's a big deal, because... You know, it, you, it wouldn't be ideal to just have your deep speech language engine work in Boston, but if you go to Tennessee, it has a lot of trouble with different, right? You'd want it to, to drink that in and, and, and make sense of it immediately. That's pretty darn fascinating. Um, so thanks so much for joining us here at Tech Immersion. Thanks, Dan. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks for being here. And remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology, and more. And we want to hear from you as well. So be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.